Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 32, Acts 9, 32. Praise the Lord. Thank God for the book of Acts. It's an awesome, awesome book in the Bible. I love the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Is everybody there? If you are, say praise the Lord. Okay, verse 32, Acts chapter 9. Some of the actions of some of the, of the apostles, or really some of the actions of the Holy Ghost through the apostles. Verse 32, it came to pass as Peter passed through all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years, and he was sick of the palsy. Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise, make thy bed. And he arose immediately. And all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. It came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And forasmuch as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter rose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down, prayed, and turning to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon a tanner. Chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. A devout man and one that feared God with all his house and gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming to him and sending to him Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers, thy alms are come up a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Amen. That's beautiful, isn't it? Let's jump all the way to the end of chapter 10. Let's look at verse 43. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him, shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. 
Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Go to the 11th chapter, verse 17. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as He did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted, granted repentance unto life. Let's praise God. Father, we thank You right now for Your wonderful Word. We praise You in advance, God, for what You're going to speak to us. Thank You for giving us understanding. Thank You for washing us with Your blood, cleansing us from all sin this morning. Every evil thought, every evil word, every evil action, we put it under the blood today in Jesus' name. Father, we take authority over any spirit of hindrance here that would seek to hinder Your Word. Any attitude of the flesh, any spirit of man or other, we thank You, God, in Your name, that in Jesus' name they are bound and defeated. We pray, Lord, that You would release Your Spirit and Your will to be done in this house this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give the Lord a praise as you sit down. Amen. God is good. Well, and the Apostle Paul, we left him off going back to Tarsus last Sunday morning. He went back to Tarsus according to Galatians chapter 1. He was there for 14 years. That's where we will leave him at this point over in Tarsus. And then Peter comes on this scene now again in the ninth chapter in verse 32. The Bible tells me that Peter goes up through the quarters, all the quarters. He comes down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. Now, this area is the area of Philistia. Now, I don't have a map with me this morning. I'm just going to do this from memory. But just underneath Mount Carmel, coming down from the top, underneath Mount Carmel, all the way down the coast as it reaches down to Egypt, that area was known as Philistia. It is where the ancient Philistines dwelt in the Old Testament. Okay. Now, Philip had already gone into that area and had already preached the gospel. So we've already seen results uh, from his ministry in the 8th chapter. Now, Peter is going to go into that same area of Philistia and he's going to preach the gospel again there. And when he gets there, he's going to find many, many saints that are already there as a result of Philip's ministry. If you go to the Old Testament, you will see prophecy that lets you know that the Philistines would be conquered. The Philistines would be defeated. A lot of times when you read prophecy in the Old Testament, you think that that prophecy is just some kind of literal, physical, materialistic type of fulfillment. But when you come to the New Testament and you get into the life in the Spirit, you will find that the Philistines are being conquered by being brought in the kingdom of God. And just as the Old Testament shows Israel at some point will rule over the Philistine territory, what you have is King Jesus ruling over the Philistines in the Spirit here. And I'm not telling you that there's not some fulfillment in the future literally, but I'm telling you when you get into the book of Acts, you're dealing with a spiritual conquering of the Philistines by the power of the Gospel. Thank God for that. And so Peter goes along that coastline. The Bible says he makes his way toward Lydda. And Lydda is a little little ways away from Joppa. 
And the scripture tells us when he gets there, there's a man by the name of Aeneas. Aeneas means to laud or laudable. Do you understand that? Lauding or laudable. That means to praise. So when he gets over there in Lydda on the coast there, of Philistine territory, this man Aeneas has palsy. He's been bedridden for eight years, the Bible says. Again, his name means praise. So praise is paralyzed here. It's a type of Israel. He is a type of Israel being paralyzed. Their praise is paralyzed. Now there's a lot of people in the church of the living God. Their praise is paralyzed. For the most part, most of you, your praise is not paralyzed. When I see you worship God, you worship God with all your heart. You praise God with everything within you. You run, you dance, you celebrate God. But there's some people in the house of God, their praise is paralyzed. Well, Aeneas, not only is his praise paralyzed, but he's paralyzed as well. The Bible says he's been in that condition for eight years. Verse 34, the Bible says in verse 34, Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. I want you to notice something. Peter does not go and pray for him. Does he? He doesn't get oil. He doesn't anoint the man with oil and pray over him in the name of Jesus. He doesn't pray for this man's healing. He gives his healing to him. You understand what I'm telling you? What he says to Aeneas, he says, Jesus Christ maketh thee what? Whole. How did he know that Jesus wanted to do that for him? Because Peter and Jesus are in union. The Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost, is inside of Peter. So when Peter looks at this man Aeneas and says, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole, it's Jesus speaking through Peter. You understand that? He doesn't pray for him to be healed. He just says, Jesus Christ, the one who is living, the living one. That's the point. He's the living Lord. And He makes you well, or He makes you whole. And the Bible says that suddenly or instantly, this man arose and was healed. Isn't that powerful? After eight years of being in that condition, and the Scripture says, all that dwelt in Lydda and all of Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. The whole cities turned to God when they saw this miracle that Jesus Christ had done through Peter. Peter didn't do the miracle. Peter didn't even pray for the man. He just said, Jesus Christ maketh thee well, and it happened. The power of God hit that man and raised him off of that bed, healed his palsy. Palsy touched his muscles and made them work properly and raised him up off of that bed and two cities on the coastline. The whole city turned to God. Isn't that awesome? And I will ask you one question along with this is how did Peter know he was supposed to go to Lydda? How did he know he was supposed to go to Saron or, or this area I should say? How did he know? He was supposed to go in the Philistine territory. How did he know that Jesus was going to heal that man? Anybody have any idea? He's in tune with the Spirit of the Lord, right? Has God broke in to his life and told him to go to Philistine territory? Oh boy, I got you. You're really thinking. (laughs) What I'm trying to show you is this is that the work of the Lord, 
See, some people think, you know, they have to have some big dream or some big vision from God as to where they're supposed to spread the gospel. You know, they're waiting for God to come and stand at the foot of their bed. They're waiting for God to send an angel to them, you know. And when God sends that angel to me, or if He comes and He appears at the foot of my bed, or, you know, some miraculous event like a dream, then I'll go. Well, He works that way sometimes. But until He does, you have to do what Peter did. And what Peter did was the normal, obvious, which is, I'm supposed to go and preach the gospel. And I'm supposed to preach it to everybody. Okay? And if God wants me in a different place, God will break in and He'll tell me. But until God breaks in and tells me where He wants me, I'm just going to go and I'm going to go preach the gospel wherever I can. Hallelujah. What I'm trying to tell you, church, today, you don't have to wait for Jesus to stand at the foot of your bed. You don't have to wait for an angel to come to you. You don't have to wait for a dream or a vision. What you do is the normal, obvious, and that is preach the gospel to everybody. And if God wants you in a different city, He'll break in. You hear what I'm telling you? All right, well, I wonder if I'm supposed to go over here. If I'm supposed to go, why well, am I supposed to go to the mission field? Well, He'll let you know if you're supposed to go to the mission field or go to another state. But until He does, do the normal, obvious thing, and that's preach where you are. Tell people about Jesus Christ where you are. Get up in the morning and say, Jesus, am I supposed to witness to my neighbor? Or do you want me to go to Midland? Okay, I'm going to wait for you to tell me, Lord. And you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and nothing happens. Jesus doesn't appear to you. No angel comes to you. And you waited all day, and you wasted your whole day. You know what you should have done? The obvious. And the obvious is go witness to your neighbor. Come on, somebody. And when you get through witnessing to your neighbor, just keep going down the block, keep going up the coast until you hit all those cities in Philistine territory. Just keep preaching the gospel all over Odessa, Texas. And if He wants you in Midland, He'll break in and He'll send you to Midland. If He wants you in another state, He'll break in and He'll tell you that. If He wants you on the mission field, He'll break in and He'll tell you that. You don't have to worry about Just do the normal obvious, which is you're called to tell everybody about the gospel, and when God wants to move you to a different area, He will do that. Give God praise in the house. A lot of people are wasting their time for some supernatural breaking in of God, some vision, some visitation from Jesus, some angel before they will get busy. I tell you what we're supposed to do. Tell everybody about Jesus. And if he wants you to tell somebody about Jesus that's not in Odessa, he'll break in and tell you to go over there. You don't have to worry about that. Do the normal, obvious until God breaks into your life. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Give the Lord praise in the house. So Peter's preaching in the Philistine territory. I don't hear anything from the Word of God where an angel came to him told him to go there. I don't see Jesus visiting him. He just knows he's supposed to be spreading the gospel and preaching the gospel. But God's going to break in. Are y'all with me here? And this miracle and signs again are following Peter wherever he goes. He doesn't have to chase him down. He doesn't have to run him down. They're following him. 
So the next point I want to tell you today is there's so many people that are run from one conference to another conference to another conference to another conference because they're chasing miracles. They're looking for a new prophetic word. Y'all are real good this morning. I like, you're real quiet this morning. I like you like that, you know. What does God want me to do? Does God want me to preach? I'm going to go to this conference 1,500 miles away and hopefully, you know, uh, one of the uh, men of God will come down and step down and say, God's called you to preach. And you're standing there at that conference and the man of God comes down and he walks right by you. I've been there. I've stood in those conferences a long time ago before I knew I was called to preach, you know, feeling after God, thinking I was called to preach, and I was waiting for the man of God to come down. You know, Lee Stone King, I went to one of his conferences, and Lee Stone King came and stepped down off the platform. I thought he was coming to talk to me. He walked right by me like I was nobody. <laughs> Are you all awake? So I'm just telling you this, that God is going to send you and put you where He wants and until He he sends you somewhere else to the obvious and the normal situation. And also, don't be chasing signs and wonders. Don't go from one conference to another conference looking for a new prophetic word or some new miracle. Are y'all here with me today? I want to tell you, the same people that run from conference to conference looking for another prophetic word and another miracle will be in the next conference down the road. The same people you saw in the conference before, they're going to be at that conference down the road. And if you were to follow them, you'd go to that conference and then you'd see them in the next conference. Oh, why are you looking at me like that? Now, if God sends you to that conference, go. I don't ever go anywhere. I don't ever go to any conference until God sends me to that place. I don't waste my time with it. Okay, but we are in a, we live in a society of very immature people in Pentecost. I'm telling you today, do the obvious and do the normal. And signs and miracles and wonders should be following you. You shouldn't be following them. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And I don't care if you like me. I really don't care. I'm going to tell you the way it is. I'm going to look you in your baby blues, which most of you don't have blue. I do, but you don't. And I'm going to tell you just the way it is. I'm going to tell you the truth. Amen. So this is what Peter did. He did the obvious and he did the normal. He went and preached everywhere. And the Bible says signs and wonders just followed him wherever he went. And he looked down to a man. He didn't even pray for the man. He says, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. And the guy got up, praise God, after eight years of being on his back, and revival hit Lydda, and revival hit Saron, and both cities came to Jesus Christ. Just like that. Wow, that's awesome, isn't it? Peter's going to stay a little while over there in Lydda, you know. Why are you staying over there in Lydda? Over there in Lydda, Peter. Well, I'm going to do the normal obvious until God tells me to do something different. Right? And all of a sudden, there's a woman named Tabitha. That's her Hebrew name. Dorcas is her Greek name. They both mean the same thing. They mean gazelle. She's a very graceful saint of God. She's a giver. She loves to give. And she loves to minister to the needy. And she sows with her hands. She uses her talents to glorify God. She's not an apostle. She's not a pastor. She's not a prophet. 
She's just a woman of God using her talents to glorify God the best way she could. And she loved helping the needy. The Bible says she lives over in Joppa. And she happens to die. Now she's a saint of God. She's the remnant of Philip's ministry. And so she dies. And all the ladies there... uh, crying and weeping over Tabitha Dorcas, you know. Because look at all that she's done for the body. Look how she's sewed. Look at the garments that she's made. What a blessing she's been, you know. She's such a graceful woman of God, etc., etc. And now she's dead. And so the Bible says they send for Peter over in Lydda. They go and get Peter. Why did they go get Peter? Why are y'all looking at me like this? Did y'all come to have church today? Are you dead? Jesus Christ maketh thee well. They sent for Peter. Why? Well, we got a dead saint. And dead saints need funerals. So, you know, we know Peter, the apostle, he's over there in Lydda, right? We've heard about this awesome miracle that took place. And we saw that, you know, are you with me? We heard about these two cities coming to God. We got a dead saint on our hand and we need a funeral. So go get Peter. Because he can do the funeral service, right? That's in their mind. It's not in their mind for somebody to be raised from the dead. This is the first resurrection from the dead by the hands of an apostle in the book of Acts. They haven't seen anybody raised from the dead up to this point. They've seen signs, miracles, and wonders. They've seen the lame healed, etc. But they have never seen somebody raised from the dead. So when they send for Peter, they're not sending for Peter to come and raise her from the dead. They're sending for Peter to hold a funeral service. The Bible says when Peter gets over there, he walks into the room and all the ladies, you know, they're crying. Praise the Lord. Thank God for the sisters. And Praise the Lord. He walks in. They begin to show him all these garments that, you know, Lydda or that uh, Dorcas or Tabitha had made. Correct? Amen? The Bible says in verse 39, Then Peter rose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. And all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. Took her talent to bless God with. In verse 40, but Peter put them all forth, kneeled down and prayed. Uh-oh, God's got something different in mind. He doesn't just want to hold a funeral service. God's got something different in mind. I wonder how Peter knew that. Because Jesus is inside of him. You understand? He kneels down and he prays. He just starts praying. He don't pray for her to be raised from the dead. Did you catch that? He comes praying. He bows down and prays. After he gets through praying, then he speaks to her. You catch it? He didn't pray for Aeneas' healing, and he doesn't pray for the dead to be raised. He prays before the dead's raised. He speaks to the dead. He doesn't pray for the dead. He speaks to the dead. This woman here, the Bible says, Peter put them all forth, kneeled down and prayed, and turning to the body said, 
Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. First miracle of resurrection from the dead in the book of Acts by the hands of the apostle. Are y'all with me right now? Some of y'all say, well, why don't we see miracles and signs like this? Why don't we see the lame walk? Why don't we see people raised from the dead? Do you realize that the book of Acts covers about a 30 year period of time? From about AD 30, AD 30 to 33 to AD 60. It's about a 30 year period of time. 20, what is it? 29 chapters, 28 chapters. How many of y'all know? Better check. 28 chapters in the book of Acts. 28 chapters cover a period of about 30 years. Signs, miracles, and wonders happening all the time. People being raised from the dead in 28 chapters. 28 chapters covering 30 years. Do you realize if you took the last 30 years of the church age that we're in right now, and you were to try to condense that into 28 chapters, do you realize how many people there would be that recorded in the book of Acts in your, your time frame that's been raised from the dead? Do you realize that your brothers and sisters over, over there in Ethiopia have seen people raised from the dead? You know, how, you know how many people have been healed? How many miracles have taken place in the last 30 years by the church? What I'm trying to tell you is if you were to condense everything, the whole church over the whole world, condensing into 28 chapters the last 30 years, how many miracles has taken place? Did you hear what I said? And there's some people who say miracles aren't for us today. There's miracles happening all the time. As I said, documented people raised from the dead in Ethiopia. Raised from the dead by the power of the name of Jesus. And you're telling me there's no miracles? And you ask me why we don't see them anymore? They're all over the place. All over the world. There's miracles happening right now. All over the world. In the name of Jesus Christ. Are y'all with me right now? So he, Yeah, but we do it wrong. We don't always do it right. Peter's praying and then he turns to the body and he speaks to the body. wonder where he learned that. Anybody have any idea? Did not Jesus take Peter, James, and John in him when he walked into Jairus' daughter's room and she was dead? Peter, James, and John saw Jesus raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. You remember that? So Peter does the same thing that he saw Jesus do. Really? Yeah. The Bible said he put them all, he put them forth. That's what Jesus did. When Jesus raised that young girl from the dead, they're all crying, you know. He put him out of the room. Peter, James, and John with him. Just, Peter's seen this before. He's seen Jesus do this before. And he does the same thing that he saw Jesus do. He puts those out of the room. Now I want to tell you why. Because a lot of these saints here, they love God. They're the people of God. But they don't have faith. So you got to get doubt out of the room. you got to get unbelief out of the room. you got to get it out of there. If there's going to be a miracle take place here, we got to do what Jesus did, and we got to get all this doubt and all this unbelief out of this room. And if we'll get the doubt and the unbelief out of this room, Jesus will raise this young girl from the dead, and He did. 
And so Peter said, what I got to do right now, he said, I got to get rid of some of these people that are standing around and cry all the time. There's nothing wrong with that, but he knew what Jesus was going to do. And that was raise this, this woman from the dead. Jesus didn't pray for Jairus' daughter. He just told her, you who are in the talit, are you with me? Spoke to her and she came alive. Give the Lord some praise in the house. So what I'm trying to tell you is that Peter saw Jesus do this very same thing. He did the same thing Jesus did and got the same results. A woman is alive from the dead. What would you do if you came to church for a funeral service and the saint got up? I mean, this is real. I said, this is real. The power... Well, I'm, I'm just be honest with you. I, every time I come to church, I see the saint get up. And I walk out of here and I say, thank God for God's miracle working power. If he could get that dead boy out of the pew, if he could get that dead girl out of the pew, he can do anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, there's more than one way to being dead. Some people are dead physically. Some people are alive and they're dead. <laughs> oh, glory to God, man. I see some of y'all running. I say, that's the power of God. <laughs> There's no way they'd be running right now if the power of God wasn't on them. Hallelujah. You know that's true. You know you wouldn't be praising. You wouldn't be sitting up. You wouldn't be running either if the power of God hadn't hit you. Amen. So I, need to re- I had to rephrase that. You know, what would you do if you saw a saint get up? I see it every time I come to church. So, praise God. Saw Jermaine Jackson get the Holy Ghost Wednesday night. I tell you, let me tell you the greater miracle. The greater miracle, he's in church this morning. Are y'all here with me? I mean, there's people get baptized in Jesus' name and get the Holy Ghost all the time. They don't even come to church. I said, I see the greater miracle today. The Holy Ghost is for whosoever will, whoever believes, okay? Hallelujah. Praise God. But we got somebody that came back. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I'll tell you this, every time I preach, I'm a miracle. Every time I preach, I'm a, an absolute total miracle because I don't know how. I don't know how to preach. I don't, I'm just being honest with you. I don't know how to preach. If, if I preach, you're looking at an absolute total miracle. You know, some of you got talent. You can sing because you have talent. I don't have any talent at all. I can't sing. I don't know how to preach. I need God to show me every time I stand in the pulpit how to preach. I need God to quicken me every time. You're looking at a miracle. I'm not just looking at a miracle standing in the pew. You're looking at a miracle standing behind the pulpit. That God could quicken me. That God can make me alive. Thank God for that. Amen. Opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand, lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. Isn't that awesome? Come on back in the room here. No, no, no. Bibi, I thought she was fixing to run up on the platform. She did this, and I thought she was fixing to run. 
I wasn't calling for you to come. I mean, but that's what Peter did. He called them back into the room. Come on back in here. Can you imagine what they must have thought when they walked back in that room and Tabitha, Hebrew, Dorcas, Greek, standing there alive from the dead? <clears throat> the Bible doesn't tell us what they talked about. But can, I want to tell you something. If you got raised from the dead, I don't want to... Hey, what, what's heaven like? Did you see the angels? Did you see the throne of God? Did you see Jesus Christ on the throne? Can you tell me? A little, what did you see when you died? Where'd your spirit go? Well, we know you were saved until you must have went to heaven. What did you see? The Bible doesn't tell us what they talked about, but I want to tell you something. If you die and you come back, I want to know what you saw. Mm -mm. Praise the Lord. So the Bible says in verse 42, and it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on... Where? Where? Many believed in the Lord. Where at? In Joppa. Came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon a Tanner. Y'all remember by a, name, a man by the name of Jonah? In the Old Testament? Where did Jonah... Where's Jonah from? Hmm? The Bible said he went down to Joppa. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Jonah is related to Joppa. He's the first missionary prophet, Jewish missionary prophet, to go and preach to Gentiles in the Old Testament. Peter's the second missionary Jewish man to go and preach to Gentiles in the area of Joppa. Give the Lord praise in the house. So he's staying over there in Joppa. Why, why don't you move on, Peter? Because the Lord hadn't told him to. And the Bible says he's over there with one Simon a Tanner. He's over there by the, the seaside there with Simon the Tanner. The Tanner. He's probably making uh, leather talits. Brings us to the 10th chapter. Caesarea, a little bit further up the coast from Joppa. The Bible says this certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian band. Who is this man? Who is Cornelius? He lives in Caesarea. Not Philippi, but the Caesarea of the coastline. Caesarea of the Palestine territory. Okay? A little ways from Joppa here. This man, the Scripture says, he's a centurion. That means he's over a hundred people. And the Bible says... He's over a band called the Italian Bands. This man is a Roman centurion. This man is a Gentile. You get this? The Bible tells us he's a devout man. What does that mean? He's a devout man and one that fears God. So Cornelius is a man who goes to the synagogue. He goes to the Jewish synagogue. He is a Gentile. The Bible says he fears God. That means he's a, he's a God-fearer. Okay? Now listen to me carefully. you got three kinds of people that would go to the synagogue. You have the Jews. The Jews are the main body in the synagogue. Then you have what is called proselytes. Proselytes or Gentiles are people from all the other nations of the world that are not Jewish, naturally. These Jewish proselytes have been circumcised in their flesh. They have been immersed in water. 
They have become full-fledged Jews. They are no longer looked at as Gentiles. They are looked at as full-fledged Jews. When they were circumcised and when they were immersed in water, they put off their Gentilism. Okay? So even though they walked into the synagogue, and naturally speaking, they were Gentiles, because they had been circumcised and immersed in water, they became a part of Judaism. When the Jews saw them walk into the synagogue, they saw them as Jews. That's the proselytes. They no longer looked at them as Gentiles, but they looked at them as proselytes converted to Judaism. The third group of people in the Jewish synagogue was known as the God-fearers, of which one of them was Cornelius. Cornelius was a God-fearer. That means he went to the synagogue, he sat down, he heard the word preached from the synagogue, he knew the ways of the Jews, he knew the word of God, he knew about the coming Messiah, but he was a Gentile who had never been circumcised and never been immersed. So when he walked into the synagogue, everybody in the synagogue, Jews and proselytes, would look at him and say, basically, why don't you get with it? Why don't you move from where you are and become a Jew? Why don't you get circumcised and get immersed and become a Jew? Cornelius never became a Jew by becoming a proselyte. He kept going to church, to the synagogue. He kept hearing the Word of God preached. He understood about the prayers and the rituals and everything that went on in the Jewish synagogue. But he never became a Jew himself. So he's a Gentile. That's why the Bible says he was devout, Roman, a Gentile, a centurion, over a hundred men. He's devout and he's a what? A God-fearer. Or the Bible says he feared God. That means he's a God-fearer. Right? The Bible tells us he gave much alms to the people. The phrase to the people means the Jews. So even though he's a Roman centurion, over a hundred, involved with the Roman occupation of Jerusalem, he gave alms to the people, the people being the Jews. So the Jews loved this man because he would give alms to them. Are y'all with me up to this point? The Bible says also about this God-fearer, he prayed to God always. But he's not saved. That's what I need you to hear today. He's not saved. He goes to the synagogue. He prays all the time. He brings his alms. He gives them to the people. He's a devout man. He fears God. He's a God-fearer, alright? He hears the Word of God. But he is not saved. He is not a Christian. Some people think if they just go to church and they just give their alms and if they just pray that they're saved. This man did all of that. He did all of that on a level that nobody here in this church does. I guarantee you He prayed more than every one of us. I guarantee you He gave more than every one of us. I, I guarantee you, because the Bible says He was a devout man, He was probably in church more than most. But this man, with all of these things that he did, fearing God, was not saved. He was not a believer. He was not a Christian. 
Woo! Hear me today. Don't go to sleep. Please hear the word of God today. How many of you know today if you go to church and you bring your tithes and offerings and you're faithful in church, you hear the word of God preached and you pray in the prayer room, most churches will say you're a believer. They will say you're saved. You've got to be saved to do that. No. You can do all of that and not be saved. And that's where this man, this Gentile was. So Peter is going to be involved with this man. Verse 3, he said, the Bible says, He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day. Ninth hour of the day. What, what time is that? Three o'clock. That's when Jesus died on the cross. So about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. So three o'clock in the afternoon, this angel appears to him. Now this is amazing. This man has been praying. He's been building up a memorial of prayer before God's throne. God can't see around if you... Now, I'm just listen to what I'm telling you, alright? He's omniscient. He knows everything. He can see around anything, but I'm just... For your for understanding. This man has built a memorial of prayer before God. He's stacking one prayer on top of another. So that when God looks, He sees the prayers of this man stacked up in front of him. That's how much that man prayed. He prayed so much, he built a memorial out of prayer before God's throne. And the Bible says, at three o'clock in the afternoon, this angel appears to this man, but this angel does not give him the plan of salvation. God sent him an angel, and the angel says, send for Peter. He's over there in Joppa. The angel does not give him the plan of salvation. You know why? Because Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that when Jesus came into the world, He didn't come in the form of an angel. But He came in the form of the seed of Abraham. He became a man, not an angel. Jesus did not shed His blood to save demons. He did not shed His blood to save fallen angels. He came as a man and shed His blood to save mankind. Demons, fallen angels cannot be saved. They don't know anything about the redemption of Jesus Christ because they cannot be redeemed. Do you understand? Personally. They don't understand the grace of God. All they know is that God is a lion. That God is holy. That God is righteous. They know God is a God of judgment. They don't know anything about the grace of God. They don't know anything about the mercy of God. They just know Him as judge, holy. You understand? And so when angels fail, there's no salvation for them. Only judgment for them. So they cannot experience grace. They cannot experience mercy. They do not understand that attribute of God. Amen. So when Jesus came into the world, He didn't come as an angel. He came as a man. And so, whenever this angel appears to Cornelius, he cannot give the plan of salvation to Cornelius because it's for man. you understand that? Give God praise. All the angels in the universe desire to look into this salvation. 
First Peter 1 Peter 1.12. Somebody get it for me. We'll read it to you. First Peter 1.12. Why didn't this angel tell Cornelius how to be saved? I just explained it to you. He doesn't understand salvation. He doesn't understand the grace of God. He doesn't understand mercy because they can't be saved. Somebody get it for Peter? The, the man that's going to be in this story here, Peter. Somebody get it for me. Stand and read. Say the gospel was preached with the Holy Ghost. Read. Sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into. It literally means that the angels, and I'm talking about all the angels in God's creation, desire to look into this salvation. When you got the Holy Ghost and you started speaking in tongues, the angels were looking down, and the word there, the desire to look into it, means they're looking down with like a frown on their face. They can't figure this out. They don't understand. How can God deal with these rebellious men? Those that have been rebelled against God. How can God save these men? And they stand there. And they desire to look into this salvation. And they're peering down. And they've got a frown on their face. And they can't understand this mercy. They can't understand this grace. They can't understand this redemption. It blows their mind. Every time a, a sinner comes to God and asks God for mercy, what is that? Every time God <coughs> is gracious to man. Excuse me. Every time God is gracious to man and saves man and man repents, the angels are looking down. When you got the Holy Ghost, the angels were looking down. I don't know where you are today. I know maybe you're listening to me. That's all right. But there's something I'd like to feel from you. But I want to tell you about a, a preacher who was preaching, a Pentecostal preacher. Preaching the Word of God and altar service at the end of the service. People getting healed all over the place by the power of God in the name of Jesus. People getting healed. And God showed the preacher a vision. In vision, he saw the angels of God in the altars. And when this one got healed, the angels looked like, oh, you know, kind of like that. But when somebody was at the altar and got the Holy Ghost and started speaking with other tongues, the preacher said God showed him the angels and the angels were going down and looking at that person. Just like the Bible says, desiring to look into this Holy Ghost in feeling. Give God praise in this house. <coughs> they don't understand salvation. God hasn't given them the plan of salvation. So the angel comes and appears to Cornelius. And the Bible said, verse 3, He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. 
When he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, sir? He said, and I say, Lord, it's in the Bible, but it's sir. What is it, sir? He said unto him, Thy prayers and alms are come up for a memorial before God. All that prayer you've been praying to God, all the alms that you have been given in the name of God, they've built a huge memorial. They've come up before God. And God has heard your prayers. But the man is still not saved. He's got an angel appearing to him, but he's still lost. He's not a Christian. He's not a believer. Oh, I'm telling you the church today. You, I, an angel appeared to me. I go to church, I pray my, I pay my alms and I pray and an angel appeared to me, so I must be saved. No. This man had all of this and he's still not saved. Verse 5. What does the angel tell him? Doesn't give him the plan of salvation. He says, send men to where? Joppa. And call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. We gotta get him down here because uh, he's got the keys to the kingdom. The keys, the kingdom have already been opened up to Jews. It's already been opened up to Samaritans. Now it's time for Gentiles to come in. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We got to get them all in. So now send for one Simon. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. Whose surname is Peter. I'll tell you where he is. You got to go get that man. Because that man will tell you what you need to do. That man will preach to you. That man will give you the plan of salvation. Not the angel, but a man will come to you. A man will tell you how. A man will tell you what to do. And you need somebody like Peter. You need somebody who has experienced the grace of God. As an angel, he doesn't understand anything about mercy and grace. He hasn't fallen. He's never made a mistake, this angel that came to Cornelius. we got to get a man to come to you that can talk to you about grace. we got to get a man that can come to you that knows what failure is like. We need to get a man who's made already a hundred mistakes. Go get Peter. He's already made a hundred mistakes. He knows the grace of God. He knows the mercy of God. Go get that man and he can tell you about the grace of God. Give the Lord praise in the house. This is something the angels know nothing about. They know nothing about this. Nothing. Go get this man. Yeah, he, he betrayed the Lord. Or, or he denied the Lord. Not betrayed him, but denied the Lord three times. He could tell you. He could tell you about grace. He could tell you about forgiveness. He could tell you about messing up big time and making a hundred mistakes and still experiencing the grace of God. As an angel, an angel knows nothing about that. So go get Peter. Because he can tell you all about the mercy and the grace of God Almighty. Give the Lord praise in the house. <laughs> He's over there with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the seaside. He'll tell you what. He will tell you what thou oughtest to do. He's going to give you the plan of salvation. Now keep again, keep it in your mind. He's not saved yet. He's not a believer yet. He is not a Christian. With all of this in his, you know, background, all these credentials he's got, all these experiences mean 
They don't equal salvation. Okay, so y'all with me to this point. So the Bible says, He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so now we got the picture, don't we? got messengers going after Simon over in Joppa. <clears throat> Caesarea's up the coastline a little bit. So they're going to go down and get <clears throat> Simon Peter from Joppa. In verse 9, On the morrow as they went on their journey and drew nigh to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. It's about 12 o'clock in the daytime. Devout Jews prayed three, prayed three times, not just morning and not just afternoon. Devout Jews play, prayed three times a day. They prayed morning, they prayed noon, and they prayed in the afternoon. Just like Daniel, three times a day, opened his window, played, prayed toward the Jews, devout Jews. Okay? <clears throat> so Peter, around lunchtime, he goes up on the top of his house. There's a, it's a flat roof type situation. He goes up there and he starts praying because that's his normal operation. He is a, now keep in mind, Peter is a Jew to the core. He is a Jew to the core. Say amen. amen. All right. Now, are y'all here with me? <clears throat> and Jews don't have any dealings with Gentiles. In fact, if a Gentile went to the synagogue and became a proselyte, he's a Jew. So they don't have a problem with him. But when Cornelius walked in the back door as just a God-fearer who had never became a Jew... They're still looking at him. What are you doing in here? Because Jews have no dealings with the Gentiles. None. They don't go into their house. If they touch them on the marketplace, out in the marketplace during the day, if a Jew touches a man that's a Gentile in the marketplace, he is unclean. And he goes to his house, he takes off his clothes, he washes his clothes, and he takes a bath. Because he just came in contact with a dirty dog. Gentile. You with me? Now you got a man that's a Jew to the core. His name's Peter. He's up there praying 12 o'clock, you know. And this man. Now we got some messengers coming from a Gentile. The Bible says the angel has sent them. The Scripture tells us, verse 10, Peter's up there praying, 12 o'clock. He became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. So he's up there, he's praying, he's getting hungry, you know, they're down there fixing food for him, and all of a sudden, being hungry and praying, he goes into a trance. He goes and he, see, he goes into a vision. He sees a vision. And he sees a vessel coming down from heaven. This vessel is like a sheet. This vessel, I will tell you what it is. It is a fulfillment of Noah's Ark. The vessel that comes down is in the shape of Noah's Ark. It's a vessel. It looks like a sheet. But all of a sudden, as he looks into this vessel, he sees some tame beast animals. He sees some wild beast. He sees some creeping things. 
He sees the fowls of the air in that vessel or that boat. Uh-oh. That ark speaks of salvation. The ark of Noah speaks of salvation. And the ark of Noah had all kinds of animals like that, you know. And so now as he's praying, he sees this vessel coming down four corners, speaking of the gospel going in the four directions of the world, the whole world, the gospel is for the whole world, each corner, north, south, east, and west. This gospel is to be preached everywhere. This vessel comes down. It's a picture of the ark of Noah. It's got all kinds of strange animals in it. It's a picture of how God is going to save everybody from the north, south, and the east, and the west that will believe. And when he sees these wild beasts and these tame beasts and these creeping things and these this fowl of the air, the Lord speaks to Peter, Jew through and through. Says, arise, kill and eat. Peter says, not so, Lord. Those words do not go together. If God comes and tells you to do something... You're either going to say, yes, Lord, or you're going to say, not so. You can't say, not so, and still call Him Lord. When He tells you and I to do something, we have to say either, yes, Lord, or not so. Peter said, not so, Lord. You can't call Him Lord and say, not so. Not so, Lord. I have never eaten anything common or unclean. He's a Jew through and through. You know Leviticus chapter 11 tells me that I couldn't eat those unclean animals. And and I have not eaten an unclean animal uh, my whole life. Not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. I'm not going to put any of that dirty flesh in my mouth. There's no way I'm going to eat that stuff. Why did God give them, in Leviticus Leviticus chapter 11, this dietary law that forbade them to eat unclean animals? Two reasons. Number one is because the unclean animals are, are dirty flesh. Dirty flesh. Unclean animals. Let me give an example. A hog is a dirty animal. A hog has dirty flesh. I'm not talking about the skin on the outside. I'm talking about the meat. The meat of a hog is dirty flesh. Every known virus, every virus known to man is in the pig's flesh. It is there. So if you get, if you want to get a virus, uh, in your hospital, you know, or if you're gonna, in your, what do you call that? Your, your laboratory, you know. If you need a virus in your laboratory, you don't have to look very far. Just go get some pig flesh. And you will find in that pig flesh every virus known to man. It's dirty flesh. Oh, I'm, I know you like eating pigs, some of you. Hmm. <laughs> I would, I would get in some detail here, but I don't think I will. <clears throat> 
The blood of Jesus Christ, when He shed His blood, He didn't die for pig flesh. He didn't die to purify pig flesh. When Jesus died, He didn't make that flesh clean. It's still just as dirty today as it has ever been. Say amen. amen. So the dietary law given in Leviticus chapter 11 is good wisdom. Don't eat that dirty flesh. Any of those things that are unclean. Are y'all with me? Amen. They're dirty flesh. The second reason why God said don't eat that uh, unclean animal is because it will make you ceremonially unclean. It will hinder you from coming into my presence because you will become ceremonially unclean if you touch that unclean flesh. It was God separating the Jew unto himself. Now I will tell you today that what Jesus did die for is that if you eat that unclean flesh, you will not be kept out of His presence. You will not become ceremonially unclean if you eat that dirty flesh. That's what He died for. He died for you not to becoming contaminated or unclean ceremonially. That's what He died for. So if you eat that stuff, it's not going to keep you out of the presence of God. That's what he died for. But he did not when he died. When he died, he didn't change the pig's flesh. The flesh is still as nasty as it's ever been. God has never changed his mind concerning the uncleanness of that flesh. <laughs> oh. So when God says to Peter, Arise, kill and eat. He said, There's nothing unclean and uncommon ever come in my mouth. No, I've kept those dietary laws. I've never eaten anything like that. That's one reason why the Jew wouldn't go into the house of a Gentile. Because the Gentile ate all of that unclean stuff. You understand what I'm telling you? And so... The Lord's saying, what He's saying here, it's not a food lesson for you. What He's teaching and what He's saying is what I call clean, you don't call common or unclean. If I say it's clean, it's clean. You don't call it uncommon or unclean. That's the point. He says, hear what I'm saying. I'm not giving you a lesson on food. I'm telling you, I want to save the Gentiles. I want to save the unclean dog, if you will. I want to save the nations of the world. I want to save that untamed beast. I want to save, are y'all here right now, that Gentile that's out in the world. Oh, this Jew. Oh, he's Jew through and through. Uh, uh, now, 
understand what you're saying. Now, now I get it. Up to this point, the gospel has been preached to Jews and to Samaritans who got a little Jew in them. But now, God, you're showing me something I didn't know. You want to bring the Gentiles into the church with the Jews and make them one body. He said, I didn't know that. I knew the prophets in the Old Testament prophesied about the church and showed the church typically. I knew the prophets in the Old Testament said there would be a church. And I know the prophets of the Old Testament said Gentiles would be saved by this Messiah. But I didn't know that the Gentiles would come into the church and become a part of the same body. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. God is not giving this man a lesson on food. He's telling this man he wants to save Cornelius. I want to bring him into the ark of salvation. I want to bring him into that one ark which speaks of one God. I want to bring him in. I want to save him just like the animals in the days of Noah. Peter, you're Jew through and through. You got prejudice. I got to get the prejudice out of you. I need you to declare the gospel to these unclean beasts. Oh, give God praise in the house. That's where you and I got our opportunity. That's where you got your opportunity. It's in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. If it wasn't for this chapter, none of you would be saved this morning. But that's where you got your opportunity. That's where this preacher got his opportunity is in the 10th chapter. The Gentiles are going to be allowed to come into the church and experience this glorious salvation. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. Give God praise in this house. If you're a Jew in the church today, I thank God for you. If you're born again, baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, I thank God for you. But I don't know of very many here today. If then you are not a Jew naturally and you're just some other nationality, you ought to be praising God because this is where you got your opportunity to come into the church. Give the Lord praise in the house. God made a way for you. He made a way for me. As unclean as I was, as, as dirty as I was, God made a way for me. Oh, Jesus, I, I praise Him. I feel Him right now. I thank God for this salvation. Oh, so I, oh yeah. Peter, I got to speak to you. I got to get that prejudice out of you because I want to save a Gentile. Now, about the minute he woke, wakes up out of that trance, here's these Gentiles standing at his gate. He, they got to stand at the gate because they can't go in his house. They're not welcome in his house. These unclean dogs, they're not welcome in his house. So he is standing at the gate. Oh, are y'all with me right now? Well, Peter, thank God, because God speaks to him. What am I telling you? Before he's been walking in the obvious and the usual, uh, preaching where he should. But now God says, I've got to break in with a vision. I've got to tell you, I'm fixing to change the direction of this thing. So I will break in and I will tell you what 
I want you to do. So wait until God breaks in before you make a move. And so at this point, Peter, God breaks in with a vision and says, all right, Peter, I've got a job for you to do, but you've got to get this prejudice out of you concerning Gentiles. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. He's great and greatly to be praised. And so they're standing down there because they can't go into his house. Jews don't have any dealings with, with Gentiles. Amen. Are y'all with me now? Glory to God. Verse 17 is where I am. Verse 18, they called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. <clears throat> and while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Now the Spirit of God is leading him. Up to this point, it's by vision. Now the Spirit of God from within him is telling him, There's men waiting for you at the gate. Oh, give God praise in the house. <clears throat> the Spirit of God shows him these men standing. He didn't see him with his physical eye. The Spirit of God within him said, they're standing at the gate. Give the Lord some praise in the house. Arise, verse 20, therefore, and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing. Say, doubting nothing. For I have sent them. Get the doubt out of your mind. He said, I want to save these dirty, dirty Gentiles, if you will. Give God praise. Get the doubt out of your mind. Get that, you're a Jew and you're prejudiced. Get that prejudice out of your mind. I want to save this man. And he can't be saved without hearing the plan of salvation. He cannot become a believer until you tell him how to believe. A lot of people go to Romans 10, 9 and 10. If thou shalt believe with thine heart and confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. Believe what? you got to have somebody tell you what to believe. Give the Lord praise. The angel said, you got to send for Peter. He'll tell you what you ought to do. He's going to give you the plan of salvation. He's going to tell you how to believe. It's not just accepting Jesus. you got to know how to believe on him. Oh, this is beautiful, isn't it? So don't doubt, Peter, when you go. Peter went down to the men which were sent him from Cornelius and said, And behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause whereof you are come? And I love this. Verse 22, And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one that feareth God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged. And on the morrow Peter went away with them and, a, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Did you catch that? He lets the Jews, he lets the Gentiles come into his... What? He let the Gentiles come into his house. And not only that, they stayed all night. And they got up the next morning. And they made their way to Simon Peter. Oh, because he's got the words of salvation. He can tell this man how to become saved. He can tell this man how to believe. Oh, give him praise in the house. And when he tells this man how to get saved, then now you find out how you get saved. Oh yeah. Give God praise. I'm going to find out how to get saved. And I know you've heard a lot of different things. 
Some of you have been told, you know, join the church of your choice. And some of you have, you know, told to come and shake the pastor's hands. And some of you have been told to come and accept Jesus as your Savior. And some of you have been told to pray to Mary. And on and on the list goes. I'm fixing to show you how a man who wanted to be saved is going to get saved. I'm going to show you how a man really becomes a believer. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Glory to God. And I pray to God that I get the doubt out of every one of you. All of you who doubt this plan of salvation. I pray I get it out of you. Anyway, the next morning, they get up. Verse 24, and they enter into Caesarea. They're on the coast. Cornelius is waiting for them. Called together his kinsmen and near friends. Got his, got his family with him. He's got some friends there in the house. And they're all ready to hear the words from the mouth of Peter. <clears throat> Give the Lord some praise. Yes, Lord. <clears throat> and as Peter was coming in. Now Peter is going into the house of a Gentile. Woo, you catch this. This is big. This is revolutionary. This, this is unheard of. Peter is a Jew through and through. He's so prejudiced. This is a revolutionary thing. He's going into the house of a Gentile. An Italian of that. Who said amen? All right, good. Peter was coming in. Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet. Oh, sounds like he must be the first pope. He's got to be the first pope if Cornelius is bowing down at his feet. Oh, you know, I'm, you know where I'm going with this. Peter was not the first pope. Peter was married. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Peter had a mother-in-law. But when Cornelius tries to bow down to him like a man would a pope, uh, what is Peter's response? Peter took him up saying, Stand up! I myself also am a man! I don't think I have to preach anymore on that. Stand up! I'm just a man to get up on your feet. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. He didn't see himself as the vicar of Christ. He didn't see himself as the mediator between God and man. He is a man. Peter is a man. Stand up on your feet. Don't worship me. And as he talked, talk, well, oh yeah, all right. Got that out of the way. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. He said unto them, you know how that it was an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come into one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. He said, God showed me I shouldn't call a man unclean or common. He wasn't preaching. God wasn't teaching him about food law. He was teaching him about a man. Oh, give God praise. In the house. Glory, got that cleared up. 
Therefore came I unto you without skin, saying, As soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore what intent you have sent for me. He said, As soon as uh, you sent for me, I came without gainsaying. No doubting. He said, I did not speak against the word spoken. That's a gainsayer. Somebody always speaking against the word that's preached. Somebody always speaking against the word that's, that's spoken. But he said, Peter said, I'm not a gainsayer. I did what God told me to do. Oh, hallelujah to the... Did you catch... You got to catch that because this will become an issue with other Jews. What are you doing, Peter, with those Gentiles? Why did you go in their house? Why did you let them come in your house? Oh, this will become an issue with other Jewish people. Give God praise in the house. He said, I did it because God told me to. God sent me here to preach to you. Oh, love it. I love it. I love it. What a revolutionary thing. A Jewish believer preaching to a Gentile. Watch this. Yeah. Verse 30. And Cornelius said, For four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. Look at this. Now you can add another thing to his credentials. He's a man of fasting as well. But he's still not saved. He's still not a believer. He's still not a Christian. He's still not in Christ. I got God all over me. And said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. That angel appeared to me, you know. And Cornelius, thy prayer is heard and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth in the house of one Simon and Tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. He said, right now, he said, well, right now we know God is in this house. It's not just humanity, but God is in this house. And we're sitting here in the presence of God. We know that God is here and we're ready to hear what God is commanding us. You tell us what God is commanding us to do. Because we know God is here and we know God is going to speak through you to tell us what we ought to do. When you came here this morning, did you know God was here? When you came and sat in the church, you sat there and you said, I know God is there. I'm ready to hear what God commands me. Did you come with that kind of spirit? Give the Lord praise in the house. So what Peter tells him then is going to be the commandment of God. And so, here we go. Peter, what are you going to tell him? What are you going to tell this lost man? Oh, that has so many good things in his life. Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Now that's, that's what the Gentile needs to hear. That Jesus is the Lord of all. 
When you go to a Jew, you preach to the Jew and you tell the Jew, Messiah is come and his name is Jesus. But when you go to a Gentile, you tell him that God has come and he is the Savior. Because the Gentiles are looking for God. They're looking for salvation. They've been bowing at idols for hundreds and thousands of years. And they're at a point now where they're sick and tired of all these religions. They're at a point now where they're sick and tired of Caesar worship. They're sick and tired of listening to the philosophers. Because the philosophers' philosophy is it's not worth living anymore. That's why during this time there was so much suicide. Because people took the uh, philosophy of the philosophers that said it's not worth living anymore. So the Gentiles are at a place in their history where they're sick and tired of worshiping false gods, sick and tired of going to, you know, being involved with religion, sick and tired of bearing down to Caesar, sick and tired of hearing the philosophers. Tell us who the Lord is. We do know that there's going to be a Lord, a Savior that's going to come. Tell us who He is because we've had enough of all of this. I hope you get where I'm coming from here. So when they preach to the Gentiles, they preach Jesus Christ, His death, burial, resurrection, that He's the Lord of all. He's the Savior of the world. That's the way they preach to them. And so I'm not going to read all the verses here, but that's what Peter preaches to them. I'll say amen. Now Peter wrote the book of Mark, I should say. He dictated the gospel of Mark to Mark. So when you read Mark, you are reading Peter's story. Peter gave his gospel to Mark and Mark wrote it down. So now when you hear Peter preach, you're going to hear Peter preach that Jesus is the Lord. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again. Same thing that he covered in the gospel of Mark. He's going to record it right here for them. He's letting the Gentiles know the Lord is, is Jesus Christ. He is God. And He is the Savior. Oh, that's what they've been waiting to hear. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise in the house. Now, you, some of you know what I'm talking about because you were raised in church all your life. You were raised in religion, but it was dead. Nothing happened. Nothing changed your life. You said, there's got to be more to this. And you found out that Jesus is God. Jesus is not the second person of a fictitious trinity. You found out that Jesus is the Lord. You found out that Jesus is God and Jesus is the Savior. That's what you found out. Oh, give the Lord praise in the house. So, mm. I know I'm moving fast here, but anyway, I got to. Verse 40, Him God raised up the third day and showed Him opening. Not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with Him after He arose from the dead. Verse 42, He commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is He which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. Oh, so now He's preaching that Jesus is the Lord. He's preaching that Jesus is the Savior. And now He's preaching that this Jesus is going to be the judge. He will determine who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, not Pope Peter. It's Jesus. I said it's Jesus. It's not Caesar. 
It's not Apollo. Hallelujah. It's not Astarte. It's not Baal. It's Jesus who will determine heaven and hell. You don't have to go through Pope Peter because Peter wasn't a Pope. You got to go through Jesus and you got to be saved like this man was saved. If you want to be saved, give the Lord praise in the house. In the house. Give him praise in the house. It's Jesus. Who is the Lord? It's Jesus who saves us. It's Jesus who will judge you on judgment day. It's not Pastor Carter. It's Jesus. It's not the person sitting beside you. It's Jesus. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's Jesus. Verse 43. To him give all the prophets witness. That whosoever believeth in his name shall receive remission of sins. He said the prophets of the Old Testament who were under that Jewish dispensation, those prophets prophesied a fulfillment to their prophecies. And they prophesied that whosoever believeth in his name shall receive remission of sins. Say, believe in his name shall receive remission of sins. And watch this. When he says this, when he preaches that Jesus is the Lord, that he's God, when he preaches that Jesus is the Savior, death, burial, resurrection from the dead, and preaches that Jesus is the judge, and then tells them that salvation or remission of sins comes in the name of Jesus, if, are y'all with me? If you believe, instantly, instantly while he's preaching, instantly they move to a position of believing what he's saying. Did you catch that? He doesn't go down there, and I know the cameras are gonna, he don't lay hands on nobody. Okay? He doesn't say, let me show you how to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. He doesn't do that. While he's preaching, the Bible says something happens in them. They instantly believe what he's preaching. When they believe what he's preaching, the Holy Ghost falls on them. Wow. Woo, glory to God. They believed in his name. They shall receive remission of sins now. All right, watch. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Isn't that beautiful? He doesn't have to go lay hands on anybody. He did lay hands on the Samaritans, but he didn't lay hands on them here. When they believe, they instantly receive the baptism. Are y'all with me? Instantly receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. Instantly while they believe. You catch that? Watch, I'm going to show you something. And they of the circumcision, that's Israel, which believe were astonished as many as came with Peter. Because, now remember, Jerusalem Jews, these Jewish believers, because that on the Gentiles also was put out to get the Holy Ghost. They can't believe that the Gentiles are getting the Holy Ghost the same way they did. It's blowing their mind that Gentiles are coming into the church. How did they know they got the Holy Ghost church? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That's how they knew they got the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify 
This is blowing the Jewish believers' minds that the Gentiles are getting the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. Oh, but he's still not saved. Watch this. The Bible says, after they heard them speak in tongues, verse 47, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? They got the Holy Ghost the same way we got the Holy Ghost. They didn't get the Holy Ghost another way. They got the Holy Ghost the same way we got the Holy Ghost. And when we got the Holy Ghost, we spoke with other tongues. When they got the Holy Ghost, they spoke with other tongues. Give the Lord praise in the house. When they believed... When they believed, they received the Holy Ghost. Oh, they've got the Holy Ghost. Get water. Quick, 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 quick. Get the water. Quick, quick, quick. Get the water. See, in Acts chapter 8, they were baptized in Jesus' name, but they didn't get the Holy Ghost. And Philip knew that was not normal. In Acts chapter 8, so he sent for the apostles, and then Peter and John came down, laid hands on the Samaritans, and so those who were baptized in Jesus' name got the Holy Ghost. Now they're a normal believer. Uh-oh, now you got somebody getting the Holy Ghost, not baptized in water yet. Get the Holy, they got the Holy Ghost, but get water quick, get water. In Acts 8, they had water, but quick, get the Holy Ghost. And Acts 10 is, they got the Holy Ghost, quick, get the water. Because there's no such thing as a Christian in that New Testament church that wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues. And that wasn't instantly baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no such animal as a Christian in that New Testament church that wasn't baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jermaine Jackson, listen to this preacher right now. You got the Holy Ghost, but get the water. Get the water. Get the water. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Because they knew, they knew there was no such thing as a Christian, not water baptized in Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah. Give the Lord praise. So, Peter says, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them. Uh oh. A centurion understands orders. The Bible, in the literal, he says, Peter ordered him. Oh, you can take it or leave it, you say? No, you can't either. That's a part of salvation. Okay, I'm remembering something. There are some people who say that receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a second experience. According to the Bible, it's not a second experience. It's a part of salvation. When they heard the word and they believed that word preached, they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It wasn't a second experience. It was the new birth experience. Hear me? Hear me? There's no such thing as getting born again and then receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The new birth is made up of spirit and water. You understand what I'm telling you? It's not a second experience. It's a part of the new birth. It's a part of salvation. 
And so now, Peter looks at them. He orders them. In the, in the verbiage of a military soldier, I command you. I order you to be baptized in Jesus' name. You got the Holy Ghost now. Get the water. Quick, get the water. Quick, get the water. Because if he's not baptized in Jesus' name, he's an abnormal believer. We can't have an abnormal believer. Get the water. Peter orders it. It's a command. Give God praise. He commanded them. He ordered them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So now you know what it takes to be in the church. You have to believe. You have to repent. You have to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You get to be baptized in Jesus' name. You get to. And when you do, you're plunged into the kingdom. You're plunged into the Spirit. And you're plunged into the life of the Spirit. It's not a separate experience. This is salvation. And without this, there is no biblical precedence for your salvation. Hallelujah to the Lamb. There's no biblical precedence for your salvation outside of being baptized in Jesus' name and being filled with the Holy Ghost. There is none. Well, preacher, you preach it like you believe it. I don't just preach it. I believe what I preach. See, I don't look at you and say, well, you did pretty good. You came and shook my hand, repented, you prayed. Oh, good. You accepted Jesus. Did you get the Holy Ghost? Did you get baptized in Jesus' name? If you didn't, you are not a New Testament believer. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And I'm going to be real bold with you now. If you are a saint in this church and you do not believe this message, I am going to remove your name from this enrollment of this church because you must believe this or to be a part of this church. Give God praise in this house. Give God praise in this house. I call to you, I call you to repent of your easy believism and your false doctrine. I call you to repent. I call you to get in the Bible. I call you to obey what God commands you. Cornelius said, we're going to hear what God commands us. We know God is here and what you tell us is what God has commanded. So Peter commanded them to be baptized in Jesus' name because it was a command from God. Now you know how to get saved. Give the Lord praise. Now, now I gotta jump. I gotta jump and I'm gonna finish here. I'm doing real good. God's helping me. Oh, hallelujah. In the 11th chapter now, Peter's got to go back up to the church in Jerusalem and explain himself. But I do need to give you some explanation here that when God sent him to the Gentiles, he didn't ask the Jerusalem church's eldership if he could. God told him to go. 
But he wants to connect it. You know what I'm saying? He wants to connect what's going on with these Gentiles. He wants to tell them it's the same. They're coming into the church the same way we did. Uh, they're not, they don't have a different experience than we do. They're coming in the same way we came in. And the Gentiles, God is saving the Gentile and bringing in the body. This is a mind-boggling situation for the Jew. So when he goes to Jerusalem into the eldership there, he's going to explain to them that they got saved the same way the Jews did. Amen. Say praise the Lord. Oh, give the Lord praise. He's got to explain. He has to explain. I just talked to you. He has to explain to the Jerusalem church, the eldership there, why he went into the house of a Gentile. You catch that? Why he allowed Gentiles to come into his house. You still with me so far? He has no problem with that. He has no problem testifying about how these people got saved and what God is doing. So anyway, you can read through that whole story if you'd like to. Amen. It's a reiteration of what God told him to do and what he did. Verse 17, here's where I want to go. Of the 11th chapter. Um, now you saw me, I jumped all those verses because it's a reiteration. It's his testimony. It's Peter's testimony to the Jerusalem church uh, how the Gentiles came into the kingdom. Verse 17. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as He did unto us. Say the like gift. The same gift. He gave us Doria. The gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, he gave us the free, He gave them the free gift of the Holy Ghost, just like He gave us the Doria, the free gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You know about grace, Peter. That's why God sent you. You need to tell them about grace. And now you need to show these Jewish believers over here in Jerusalem that the Gentiles are experiencing grace as well. It's a gift of the Holy Ghost. Doria, free, unearned by the finished work of Calvary, by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. It's not a working for salvation. It's a free gift based on the finished work of Jesus. What a baptism in His name is not working for salvation. It's a gift from God. I'll read it to you again. For as much then as God gave them the like gift, Doria, as He did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? Are you with me? Yes, sir. He said, God put pressure on me. How could I withstand God? God put pressure on Peter and God put pressure on Cornelius and his family. Pressure everywhere. Pressure. I don't like going to that church. Pressure all the time. Pressure all the time. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Well, there's pressure on me from God and there's pressure on you from God. Who are you to withstand God? Who am I to withstand God? God's going to put the pressure on you. God's going to put the pressure on me. Who are you to withstand God Almighty? You, you should have seen me back in the, when I first started preaching. I was, I'm nice now. I preach it. I wasn't a pastor then. You sit on the pew. You claim to be a saint. I'd go back there and look you right in the eyeballs and find out what's going on with you. Then lay hands on and pray you through. You come in here looking like you do. Hallelujah. You just need to thank God I'm nice now. But I'm just telling you, there was pressure on Peter. There was pressure on them. Peter said, who was I to withstand God? There was, the pressure was there. 
I, I, I couldn't say no to God. He told me to baptize them in Jesus' name. He told me to go preach to them. He told me what to preach for and I preach to them. I can't withstand God. I can't fight the... Oh, see, now this is where a lot of people get in trouble. Because some of you today are fighting God. God has put pressure on your life. And you're fighting God. That's why you're about to wear out. You are about to wear out because you're fighting God. Stop fighting God. Stop resisting God. And then pray, Pastor Carter, be nice. Catch this, alright. Pressure everywhere. God is there. God is there. God has put pressure on Peter. God has put pressure on Cornelius. So I can't withstand God. So verse 18, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted, look at this, repentance unto life. If they were baptized in Jesus' name, if they got the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, then God granted repentance unto life. What is the life? It's the Holy Ghost. Yes. Hallelujah to them. I thank God for the truth. The elders of the church in Jerusalem said, yeah, oh, we recognize, yeah, that's salvation. We recognize that is salvation. We recognize that is legitimate. It's an experience in God that brought them into life. God granted them repentance unto life. They got it the same way we did. If you want to be saved, you're going to have to experience it the same way the Jews did. You have to experience it the same way the Gentiles did. Honey child, juicy fruit, sugar plum, honey bunch, whatever. I wouldn't want one to stand before God on Judgment Day and have anything less than this. Okay? Well, what do I do with these people out here that don't have this full experience? I go out there and try to bring them in. I go out to all these people who just accept Jesus and say, you know what? You need more. You need to be, you need to experience life. You need to be born again of the water and the Spirit. This is not a separate experience. It is salvation. Aren't you thankful today for it? (laughs) And in closing, I'll just tell you the rest of the story in Acts chapter 11. There are some Jews who go over into Antioch, Syria. That's called Dirty Syria. Now listen to me. This is awesome. Antioch, Syria. There's two Antiochs. There's an Antioch in Asia Minor and an Antioch in Syria. This text here deals with Antioch of Syria. It's known as Dirty Antioch. This place where these Jews are going to go and preach is full of immorality. Apollo is there. Uh, Artemis is there. All kinds of temple prostitution, male and female, is there in that city. It's a part of their religion to be immoral. And the Jews go over to dirty Antioch in Syria and they start preaching. And at the beginning they start preaching to the Jews only. But then all of a sudden they thought, they started thinking, hmm, God wanted to save the world. And we just heard about, or did they? Possibly, maybe not. We just heard about Gentiles getting the Holy Ghost and getting baptized in Jesus' name over there in Cornelius' household. 
in Caesarea. Well, let's go and give it a try. And they go into dirty Antioch and they start preaching Jesus Christ. And would you believe, guess what happened? In the third largest city of the world, Rome, Alexander, Egypt, and then Antioch of Syria. Dirty, dirty Antioch. Were their first called Christians in Antioch. A derogatory statement. Hallelujah by the unbelievers and the heathen identifying them. Dirty Antioch. Would you believe that in dirty Antioch where immorality was a part of their religion? These Jews started preaching to these Gentiles and all of a sudden they start coming into the kingdom. They start preaching to the Grecians. And these people who had enough of false idols and had enough of Caesar worship and had enough of their philosophy, they, they're ready. They're ready. They're ready to come into the kingdom. They're ready to hear the message in Jesus' name. Are y'all awake tonight? And so, praise God. Woo, isn't this beautiful? Bible said number. Verse 21, a great number of them believed turned to the Lord. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church which was at Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as to Antioch, who when he came had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. Now, since you've been born again, since you've been born again, now keep walking the way you walk. Walk in what you've experienced. Cleave unto the Lord. Stay in it. Once you get in it, stay in it. Cleave to the Lord. Hold tightly to God. Keep on going with Him. Walk with Him. Stay in it. Thank God they sent Barnabas. Barnabas is a son of consolation. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Thank God. He's not prejudiced like Peter. Go check it out, Barnabas. By this time, he's probably the, the, church, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem at this point. Son of consolation. He goes up there and he sees the grace of God and he just exhorts them. The Bible says, with, that with one purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. And where does he go? I'm coming full circle. I started the message out by telling you that Paul had gone home to Tarsus for 14 years. Barnabas remembers the prophecy that was placed upon the Apostle Paul's life 14 years before. How God was going to use that man to bear the name of Jesus to the Gentiles. In that moment, the Spirit of God reminded this Barnabas of that prophecy. And Barnabas went to Tarsus where Paul had resided for 14 years. He's the right man for the job. Because God said He would be an apostle to the Gentiles. Go get Paul! The Bible said He went to look. He went to try to find him. The word try to find him means He's hard to find. Barnabas had a hard time finding Paul. He looked up and down. High and low. Everywhere he could. You seen Paul? Ever heard of a man by the name of Paul? Yeah, yeah he's around here somewhere. Finally Barnabas finds Paul after looking for him high and low. It's time for Paul, after 14 years of being put on the shelf, it's time for Paul to come to the forefront. It's time for the prophecy to be fulfilled. And so, we left, we started the message today by telling you Paul was in Tarsus for 14 years. Now we come full circle. The Gentiles are coming to the church and Barnabas says Paul is the man for the job. So I'm going to go and find him. And he went and found him. 
He went and found Paul. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Hallelujah. And then it tells us, okay, and I'm going to close. He goes and he finds him, he finds him, brings him back. I will just, let me give you one little point of understanding here. If you ever get a prophecy, put it on the shelf. Because if you don't, you will go through life trying to make it happen. If you go through life after you receive a prophecy and you know it's from God, as soon as you get that prophecy, you go try to make it happen on your own. You will abort the prophecy. You'll mess it all up. Paul had a prophecy from God. He put it on the shelf for 14 years. And then when Barnabas goes and gets him, and he starts being used to preach to the Gentiles, he will remember the prophecy spoken over him 14 years ago. But for 14 years, he didn't try to make it happen. He would have aborted it. If it's God, if it's a prophecy from God, put it on the shelf and forget it. Because if it's God, He will bring it to pass without you trying to help Him. If you try to help Him, you will mess the whole thing up. And then when you find yourself in the fulfillment time of that prophecy, without having trying to make it happen yourself, it will hit you. This was a prophecy spoken to me X amount of years ago. I didn't even remember it. But God brought it to pass if it was from Him. And you will remember it in the process of doing it. God will remind you. I know some of you, God's giving you prophetic words about what God's going to do in your life. And you... You're so worried about it because it's not how, you're not in the pulpit today. You're not in the pulpit right now. You're not, you know, you're not preaching. You can't even get out of the pew. Much less. Put it on the shelf. And when it's God's time, if it's His prophecy, when you're doing it, you will remember. God told me I was going to do this. Are y'all with me right now? I do that. I do that. When I get a prophecy from somebody, somebody speaks into my life prophecy, I put it on the shelf. I don't even, I don't even think about it. On more than one occasion, more than one occasion, my different men, preachers and non-preachers alike, they've told me I'll preach all over this world. They've told me that. Oh, really? I better go get my plane tickets. Let's see. I think I'll go over here today, and next week I think I'll. Oh yeah, I'll fly over here. You stupid! I would be an idiot to do that. If that is true, if I'm supposed to preach all over this world, I put it on the shelf, and if it's God, it will happen. And I won't even remember it until I'm in the process of doing it. And I say, Oh, you know, this was prophesied to me. Hey, how cool is this? Say praise the Lord. Did that help any of y'all? <laughs> you know, Paul, he just put it on the shelf. Okay, anyway, anyway, I love to preach that. I love to preach that. I love to preach that. 
Because we, you're going to be a powerful evangelist. You're going to reach the world. Some of y'all be catching planes tomorrow, buying tickets up. You don't, with what? You don't have no money. You can't even buy a, tag, a, a taxi cab. You, you can't even get a cab to go down to McDonald's and eat, man. I'm going to preach. I'm going to make it happen. You're going to abort the whole thing. You're going to mess the whole thing up. You wait on God to open the doors. And then you step through. You say, thank God! This is what I'm supposed to do. I love you. I love you so much, I'm going to let you out at 1230, 1240, 1240. That's a miracle. I was on them today to start church on time. I, I, I've talked to the people making an announcement, make them quick and speedy. Let's get it going. Let's get it moving.